We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Joanna Penn, award-nominated New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. She's a podcaster, international speaker, and award-winning creative entrepreneur. Her site, The Creative Pen, is regularly voted one of the top 100 blogs for writers by Writer's Digest. If you want to figure out how to write books and even make a little money writing, then this interview is a must-listen. Joanna studied theology in school and then went into IT consulting, where she learned all about business but was miserable doing it. She went through a cycle of working and quitting until she realized that she could just start her own business. It took stints in real estate and then a scuba diving company, all of which she quote-unquote hated and quote-unquote failed at, to realize she needed to do something that she really loved. These quote-unquote failures also gave her the insights that she did not want to manage people or assets. Rather, she wanted to do high-profit margin work that she loved and could be done anywhere in the world on a laptop. That led her to become a writer where she could do the things she really loves reading, writing, and travel. Joanna loves reading thrillers, and Dan Brown inspired her to combine her fascination with religion to write her highly successful Arcane series. This following-your-interest approach is a great way for entrepreneurs to figure out a way to create an independent life that completes them. If you're an author, chances are you don't make a whole lot of money writing, and that's why Joanna has multiple streams of income. Selling books is just one of them. 
This allows her to do what she loves while also making a living, an important part of being an entrepreneur. Now, let's get better together. Joanna Penn, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Jari. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a, I am will not lie. I love what you do over at the Creative Pen. I love the fact that you're an entrepreneur, which I have a hard time saying. Um, and the thing that I really like about how your approach to creativity and your, your business and being an author is not a lot of authors think they're entrepreneurs. And authors are probably the most like entrepreneurs that I've ever seen because we build these books that are products and then we try to figure out, have someone buy them, which is the hardest part, right? Um, but before we talk about what you do at the Creative Pen and all your author stuff, uh, how did you get to do what you're doing? I mean, how did you become an entrepreneur? <laughs> it's, it's such a big question. It is. How, and it how, is. <laughs> how far should we go back? Well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I always like to say, you know, give me the nickel tour because yeah. I think it's important to know where someone's come from because that's a huge part of who we are. Uh, but you can go back as far as you want. We got plenty of time. <laughs> sure. Well, um, I did a master's in theology at the University of Oxford. Theology, and, interesting. Yeah, theology. So we can circle back to that. But basically, mm-hmm. then after Oxford, you go into consulting, banking, or law. And I went into consulting. So basically, you know, to pay my bills after college, I um, became an IT consultant, and they put me into uh, this software system called SAP, which uh, any corporate people listening might know. So I spent, uh, you know, 13 years in the end, uh, implementing accounts payable into large corporates. I mean, the the least creative (laughs) job. I love it possibly think of. So but what was interesting that I mean, I really credit the consulting companies, they definitely taught me business. But essentially, I I got the golden handcuffs, you know, anyone works in corporate knows, you know, they paid me very well, I traveled a lot, I, I had a great life, but I was miserable. <laughs> I was really miserable. And I started trying to escape only a couple of years in, you know, I started resigning, going traveling, then running out of money, going back, getting a contract. So I started contracting So the sort of freelance angle of contract work is something I did quite early on. Um, and then in between sporadic consulting bursts, I tried to start other businesses. So I, uh, when I moved to New Zealand, I uh, back in the year 2001-ish, I started a travel itinerary company back when in those early days of when we could build our own websites, mm. really bad, you know. And then I realized that I, it was just too hard and there was no money in it. I got into property investment. So I started doing that, um, you know, buying property, doing it up, selling it on. And we just realized I was, I just hated that. I did not care about bulk paint deals or, you know, <laughs> flooring. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. And then I started a scuba diving company. Oh, that's which more fun. Was, that sounds well, cool. you. You say that, but scuba diving, I was in love with scuba diving at the time. I was a a dive master. Um, My husband at the time was a a skipper. And so we started this company. And um, But goodness me, here's some lessons learned about um, overheads. I mean, the fuel costs, the people costs, the insurance, the weather in New Zealand. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about 
no like serious amounts of pain and uh actually then I split up with said husband so uh, I Hopefully guess all it of wasn't this is, because of the business or it was that was definitely a part you huh. know we were just fundamentally different people and when I look back at all of those things now those failures in inverted commas because I know you and I don't really believe in failure but those experiences taught me some very important things I didn't want physical assets to manage I didn't want to manage people I wanted high profit margins but I wanted to do work that I actually loved and I didn't want to do um, in-person customer service there is nothing worse than someone on a boat who is seasick and (laughs) you're just like I don't want to deal with this oh man (laughs) so all of those things things kind of coalesced and then I hit um, the global financial crisis and as well and all of these things together just made me think I just need to do what I want to do with my life and it needs to also fulfill the criteria of making at least six figures work that I love um, uh, and work that is scalable laptop based where I can do anywhere in the world. So it's a bit of a a long intro, but I wanted to kind of give a sense of the different paths I've tried to end up at at the writer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, wow, there's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, no, I mean, I I think a lot of people that have the similar experience kind of early on, I mean, I know, like I never, the corporate life for me is, like, I don't like bad corporate coffee. I'm literally unemployable, which I know we're both part of the unemployable initiative group, which is like perfect. When I found that, I'm like, la, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should say it's now called Seven Figure Small. Oh, se- sorry. Se- sorry, Brian. Sorry, Jerry. Seven Figure Small. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great uh, it's a great feeling to find that fit, right? And, and that is so, the journey to that is is again, it's like a a story of legends, but uh, theology, how did you come to want to study theology? Oh, well, that's another interesting story. I started working for charities uh, back in my teens and uh, I'd worked out in Israel um, in the the early to mid 90s during uh, the Gulf War and stuff like that. And uh, as a volunteer and um, I decided in my teens I was going to solve Middle East peace. And and I wanted to go into the United Nations and stuff. So I actually went to university to do Arabic. To, to Oxford to do Arabic oh, wow. um, yeah with the intention of of solving peace in the Middle East and then um uh it I, day one I realized that this was way too hard <laughs> and so I, I said to my college what else do you have and they said you could do theology I was like that sounds good but what's so fascinating is uh I mean I've always had like yourself interest in psychology uh history religion you know, law, the basis of our law is that that biblical stuff. And so what's so interesting is my degree turned into, and I actually specialized in psychology and uh, religion, and my arcane thriller series, of which I'm about to write book 11, that is based on my uh, theological interest. And in fact, the second book, Crypt of Bone, was written around my um, thesis, which was about why people do things in the name of God. So it's... um. It's so funny how that has come back because there was never any way to, in inverted commas, make money from <laughs> theology <laughs> unless you became a priest. And, and I, then. you know, actually wasn't a Christian. Still, I'm not a Christian. Oh, wow. That's, so <laughs> but, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. So <laughs> theology degree, but not religious or? 
No, I, I did have, you know, again, teenage years, a, a religious phase, but mm. um, my interest in religion is, I, I would say I'm spiritual, as yep. in I've had spiritual experiences. Yep. And yep. I and very much the Arcane series, my protagonist, Morgan Sierra, there's a lot of discussion about what is science, what is faith, what is God. So I think I'm exploring, able to explore those deeper questions through my fiction mm. that I, I, I can't in my nonfiction at yeah. this point. So, and I think that's one of the joys of being a writer, you know, especially I write fast paced thrillers. Like you don't have to read the deeper meaningful bits. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. But, you know, for me, the, the interesting side of life, like why, why I do what I do now, coming back to that was when I looked at what do I actually want to do? And I wanted to read. I love reading. I read all the time. Uh, I want to write because I want to measure my life by what I create. And I want to travel. So all of my books, the research I do, um, are, are all based on the travels that I do. So turning that into making a living and also helping other people, you know, as you do, um, is, is a good way to make an online living. And, um, and I'm an introvert. I like being on my own. You're an introvert. <laughs> so being a writer helps. <laughs> I, I mean, you're probably like me, you're a highly functional introvert because you don't normally like get on a podcast and talk about, you know, <laughs> all that sort of things, I guess. Well, I'm not, I'm not a shy introvert. I think right, shy right, and right. not shy, a different scale. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, this uh, world we're living in right now where we're not having to go to big conferences isn't, a, isn't bad for, for those of yeah, us who I like know. being at home. <laughs> no, no, I'm with you. Like I'm with you. I, I, it's, it's so funny because, you know, I don't like some people, the extroverted people, they like feed off everyone's energy. So f in order for them to recharge, they have to be around people. Introvert don't need that. We need to be alone. Um, but it's interesting how you can like be kind of outgoing in that situation where you're an introvert, but then it just completely drains you. So for me, if I would go to these conferences or go to any of these things, I just like at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm, I gotta go sleep because it's just too much. I think, I don't know what it is about that, that. Maybe yeah, it's I think a... it's it's it is a personality type, and it's so funny because again, when I worked in the last job I had, which was a very large mining company in Australia, mm -hmm. our yeah mining <laughs> company, yeah, it was a great company to work for, really interesting. Um, but the the office I worked in, it was there were a couple of hundred of us in an open plan huge IT department. And I wondered why I was, you know, 20 kilos overweight with headaches every day and in so much pain. And I was just popping painkillers every day. And I was crying in, in the toilets because I was so miserable. And yet I was earning so much money. And that point that I didn't really know I was an introvert up to that point, I didn't know why I couldn't cope with this environment. And again, this is more than a decade now and people didn't wear headphones at work back then you know there was that time now I think younger people the, the millennial um, age group are just quite fine wearing headphones around the office and that's become a lot more acceptable but back then there was no way to shut out the world yeah. and so so if people listening you know I think trying to figure out what suits you best in a working environment can make such a difference to your levels of pain. I mean, I haven't had, I used to have migraines all the time oh, and wow. I have have had barely a handful in the last decade since oh, I left that that's environment. Great. That's mm. really good. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the physical, 
environment definitely impacts your health. And and it is true. I mean, that is actually a really good point. <clears throat> Part of the thing that I actually had to figure out through my journey in the corporate world now that now that I'm unemployable um, is uh, that there's just certain things that I thrive in. And there's certain things that are just, I have to have. And if I don't have that, I am miserable. And I was same way, like work too mm. hard, drink too much coffee, gain a lot of weight. Like I just was, I was trying to fill the void and I'm like, what's this void? Why, why do I, why am I doing this to myself? And, and, and as, and as and when I found entrepreneurship, I realized is I don't like being told what to do. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, kind of I think, yeah, yeah we all feel. <laughs> we all feel. It, not that I don't like to co- collaborate or anything, but for me, it's just mm. this huge, like, I want to create my own thing. Um, mm. And and it is the thing, the reason why I write, and the reason why I like to create is because creation for me is like, I think same thing that, that you said, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave like my creations in the world and writing is probably the best way to do that. But I, I, I like the fact that you use your the theology background in your books, because what's interesting is so now I do PR and marketing, right? Which is a whole other story. We talked a little bit about it on your podcast. Um, never thought in a billion years I'd ever do PR and marketing. You know, it's because of my late wife Jane and all this sort of stuff. But my experience as a startup engineer, that like process thing, is just infinitely easier and better for me to do this because I kind of understand things. And I think what's really interesting about the theology, again, uh, I think I'm with you. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I was, I'm a non-practicing Episcopalian and it's a whole story. (laughs) Wow. That all happened. But the, 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 all that history, I mean, did you go into writing this, that series of books like, Oh, I'm going to use this theology background or did just sort of like organically come up? Well, I think, uh, you know, because I went to Oxford and my mum was a, a taught English literature, I was brought up with literary works. Mm. And I think I spent a lot of years being blocked by the by the thought of having to write a literary work mm. that might win a prize, like the Booker Prize. These were the oh, valid yeah. books yeah. that my contemporaries would talk about. But in my but for me, what I used to do in my job that I hated, every lunch hour, I was at the bookstore and I was buying thrillers. Uh and I was by, and when Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code came out, I was like, this is it. You know, I, I love, this is the type of book I want to write. I want to write something that has uh, a level of history and religion and interest, but it is a fast paced thriller that is actually commercial. And that actually was a huge moment for me because it made me understand that it doesn't matter what somebody says is in an important thing, like an important book or whatever. If someone is escaping their miserable job with a thriller or someone wants to get out of their life with a, with, with a book, then I'd actually rather write that book. So that really released me from the need to write literary fiction and thus started me down writing thrillers. And so, and Dan Brown really released me into kind of going, do you know what? I'm really interested in religion and I love all this. And the first book, Stone of Fire, um, 
which is available for free on all ebook platforms. I'll put a <laughs> um, link actually, to it for sure. in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah, but that course. book, um, it's based on Carl Jung's Red Book. I don't mm. know how even. Oh yeah, no, I, I go to huge. therapy every. Yeah, I every mean, week. yeah, it's it's huge. Sitting book. on his bookshelf, I just stare at it every time I talk with. Well, I don't go anymore because we're lockdown but yeah the yeah. big red book is on his shelf i stare at exactly it and i've got the big red book yeah. it's it's huge yeah. it's massive and there's a painting that young did in there and that sparked an an idea for me and the travels i'd been to the i'm sure you've you've been to venice the st mm -hmm. mark's basilica the the pentecost mural on the mm -hmm. ceiling there mm -hmm. and like all these different travels that i'd had you know came together in this story and I was hooked like literally I was totally hooked and I was like this this is fun creating this stuff but also I get to research so right now book 11 in that same series um I've been to Lisbon and Amsterdam and of course we're in lockdown so I can't carry on with my research but I have I'll be doing a lot more online for this book but it's going to be about the Portuguese empire and people forget the Portuguese Huge. had a massive yeah. empire they, they, they went everywhere like yeah, the Dutch exactly. and the Spanish, and yeah, I mean, yeah. anyone that had a navy <laughs> was going to go yeah, places. Exactly, you know? exactly. So I'm I'm bringing in all this history, and I think what I want to say to people is the the lesson is you don't have to do something because other people tell you that that is the thing you should do. So, you know, for me, it, writing literary fiction would have been a wrong thing for me. Of course, it's right. If anyone listening wants to do that, then great, go ahead. But it, 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 I was never going to make the money that I wanted to make writing that. So it's another choice. It's like, how do you want to live? Then how are you going to make your money? And if you're going to do art and business, Business. How are you going to make that pay? And thrillers are actually a great genre for doing that. Yeah, thrillers and love um, stories. Anyway, love yeah, stories, exactly. So. Wow. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I. What's funny because you know I normally write nonfiction books, and uh, you know the entrepreneur ethos nonfiction book. Um, writing right now a memoir about my experience losing my wife Jane, or not losing my wife, but like art our experience going through her sickness and her illness. Um, and then I actually did a NaNoWriMo book with my future stepdaughter, which is a chapter book and it's got history and fantasy in it. And it's this whole Great. thing. About, That's fantastic. It's about the um, Spanish in the 1790s in, 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 California, but it kind of goes back and forth. It's it was just super fun. But I I the thing that really caught my attention when you said about theology and <clears throat> like, oh, I'm just interested in this is I was really interested in the history of like the mission history, you know, the um Unipro Sarah and like all of that stuff. And it turns out that um my fiance's family was actually there, you know, with the De Anza party, came, you know, because they're from Spain, like they came th up through California, like they were there. <laughs> so it was like, oh, cool. We'll write a book about how, you know, the history and the connection to your family. Um, just, but I, just on that, can I just say yeah. what's crazy is my previous one, Valley of Dry Bones. It's based on uh, the mission and Junipero Serra. And I went to um, to Mallorca and visited the monastery where he left from. I've got 
pictures of the statue. Um, wow. And basically, I tied together the Spanish in to the Toledo Bible, which is in New Orleans, mm. in the back of New Orleans, St. Louis Cathedral. Yeah. Tied New Orleans and San Francisco with uh, with Mallorca and the Spanish Empire. So that's wow. a Valley of Dry Bones. Um, it's totally funny that you went down the same oh, route. Oh, man, I'm going to read that now. Well, no, yeah, I, you should I, totally read that one. Because well, we went to the Carmel Mission. Right. So, yeah. So, so this is the fun thing about writing and creativity and, and, mm. and it does apply to startups because sometimes what happens is what you're interested in, you pull on a thread and all of a sudden, oh, wow, wow, someone else is interested in this too. But, you know, we, we would always go down to Monterey and just love Monterey. Like we still do. Can't go now, but <laughs> we still do. And then it was like, oh, well, you know, she, she says, well, you write books. And I'm all, yeah, I write books. She's like, but you don't write any books for kids. And I'm all, well, that's true. She's like, well, why don't you write a kid's book? And I'm all, okay. So then- Why you know, not? You know, why go. not, right? NaNoWriMo comes around and I'm like, what should we write about? She's like, oh, let's write about, you know, otters and we're down in Monterey and da, 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 da. I'm like, cool, we'll do it. So, but what was cool is that we go to Car- Mission Carmel mm. and that's where Unipro Sarah's, I think his headquarters or base or whatever. And it's like where he slept. There's, and then there's this cross, and it's the literal cross. It's not the exact same one, but it's the place where the cross was when they first did the mission. And there's a photo of it in like 1790 something, right? And you see the cross and you stare at this cross. You're like, he stood right here, like right here. He stood right here. And so, <laughs> You've got to go to Mallorca. Yeah, I know. I, 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 when I can, I, I, think we, cool. I think we will. But but the thing that's really cool is that, um, you, so you have like this whole history, but then there's the Indians that were there or the indigenous mm. people, uh, they were called the, the Rumson, was the sort of this loose tribe. And they were there too. And then this, of course, there's all the tragedy of that, of how you know they're trying to make them Christian or whatever. But but the history of it's all there. But So we're just saying, I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, look, this is where it is. And so in our book, it's a fantasy. Um, they travel back in time. And so when they travel back in time, they literally, when they're in 1790, whatever, they the place they land is at the cross. Like that's the portal, right? So it's like we're oh, here at cool. the portal. It's like, see, this is where we land. She's like, oh yeah, cool. Now how what do we go? So we'd like walk around and it was really cool. Um, mm. I, I think it's um and the, the lesson I, I think for anyone with their own business is that it's following your curiosity yes. and trying new things and you know being able to make space in your life to follow these threads and then sure I mean you're not going to make any money from that book with your with your stepdaughter but that was never the intention no. and so that and that's really important with when you combine art and business like I you know we, we do it's very important. I mean, most writers do not make a living with their books. And I have multiple streams of income. Absolutely. I don't rely on book sales. They're just one part of my business. But following our curiosity and having the joy in creation is so important. And that, again, that's why we are entrepreneurs, because there's no one saying, you can't do that because you you don't have the right to take that time off to go and see those things. Or And also, what is fantastic is tax-deductible travel. Yeah. <laughs> Research. Yeah, exactly. Book yeah. research is Books. one of my big items on yeah. my P&L. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, in just, yeah, I mean, the whole the whole curiosity thing, I think, is just so underrated. You know, I mean, when I was younger, I would just hop from company to company, startup to startup, because I was really following the money, right? I'm like, I want to hit a successful thing. I want to be a millionaire, all that sort of stuff, right? 
And then I remember I literally would track it, you know, all the money and then, and then I literally one day became a millionaire. Right? I'm like, oh, wow, wow. I mean, overall, right? Just, yeah. And then like six months later, I got divorced and it just all went away Whew, like that. I mean, you know, we split it, right? And I'm just like, it's just fleeting. Like, why was I working all this hard? I mean, it wasn't, I had fun and I learned a lot, but I'm like, you know, eh, this isn't really <laughs> what it's all it's cracked up to be. Not to say that money's bad. I'm not going to say that because we all have to eat. No, I love money. <laughs> I mean, that's another reason we're entrepreneurs. Exactly. So we can make money. Yeah, exactly. You know, that is, and actually, I mean, let's just talk about that because you said at the beginning, most authors are not entrepreneurs. And the reason they're not entrepreneurs is because they're not actually business people. Most right. authors um, outsource their work to a publisher and the publisher makes money and then gives the author a small amount of that money. Whereas I run my own independent publishing company and I'm in control of the business side. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really important coming back to, to the entrepreneur thing. It's It has to be a combination of curiosity, creativity, what you love. And as you said, it's not it is about the money, but it's not all about the money. And so you have to balance those things. And and only that way can you make it a success. And I have, there are some days when I think, should I go back to a job? And I'm like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally have that. I think yeah. it's a nightmare. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm still. Well, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, well, the thing is interesting is that I, I do trade money for freedom. Um, hmm. Because as an entrepreneur, you have a certain amount of freedom and not a lot of times I could definitely make more money in the corporate world. I could definitely go do, you know, go to one of the big companies and, and like really make a lot. But then I, I sacrifice my freedom. Hmm. And for me, freedom is probably the most important thing. Freedom to create, freedom to do what I want to do, hmm. freedom of my time. I've learned as I've gotten older that time, most valuable resource in each and every one of us only has a certain amount. And we can't yeah. buy time. You know, I had a CEO I used to work with. He said, you can print money, but you can't print time. And it's true. So I have this finite amount of time. I don't even know how much I have, but I do know every one of us has this quote unquote, same amount. We have the same 24 hours in a day. We have the same year. I mean, it's our time. Our time is the most valuable thing. So I always try to either instill that in people or more importantly, when I want to do certain things. Is that, is this going to be, it's going to take away my time from something else that I really want to do? Hmm. Am I, am I swapping money for time and how much is my time worth? Um, yeah. And I, I, freedom is also my highest value. And one of the interesting things I think about becoming an entrepreneur is, is the business model that you choose. So for example, even, you know, I get people asking me every day, can I hire you for an hour's consulting? I don't do consulting. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't do that. But I say, I, if they have a podcast, I say, I'll come on your podcast and we can yeah. talk about whatever you like, yeah. because that's marketing. But the, the consulting for me is an hour of my time that is not scalable. And it's not something I want to do. I want, I, I write lots of books to help authors. Like literally everything I know is in a book yeah. or on my no, blog. You, you have a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. And I put it all out there. So I'm like, here, read that book. It's 10 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's going to help you. But people, you know, want handholding or whatever. But choosing, you have to choose how you make your money. And that has to relate to freedom. So mm -hmm. for me, I want the freedom to spend my time how I want to spend it. 
project. Uh, I don't want to have my time booked up in consulting. Now, of course, some people listening will be doing consulting and service work. Yeah. But um, coming back to what I said about the scuba diving, I, I'm don't, I'm, I have a service ethic that works to scale through my podcast, but I don't have a one-on-one service ethic that I want to pursue because I want that time to create. So this morning I spent six hours uh, on my latest novel. And I, I mean, the, the time, the money I could have got for those six hours, if I had been consulting, obviously is much more than I got out of that. But that novel can earn me money for the rest of my life. And uh, seven, 70 years after I die. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. crazy. It it's nutty. <laughs> it's no, no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. When, when you when you exchange money for time, you lose freedom. And then the other thing is, is the asset you don't have. I mean, and again, mm-hmm. so when you're an entrepreneur and like a tech entrepreneur, a lot of tech entrepreneurs understand this because they build assets that try to scale, right? And for them, mm-hmm. scale is, you know, let's be a unicorn in five to seven years, and let's do all the growth hacking metrics that matter, blah, 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 blah. Like yeah. y'all can go look at another podcast for that. I, yeah, that's not, I'm not exactly. interested in that. That's all that stuff changes all the time, but fundamentally in your heart, what, what drives them, at least what I've found is, is there's this curiosity as well as like, I want to build something that people will use. Like I want, mm-hmm. I, there's no better joy that I get when someone's like, Hey, I really liked your book. I like listening to your podcast. I liked reading your blog. To me, the creation, the act of creation, that p- putting your art in the world, I mean, in a certain sense, it's sort of like it's not yours anymore, but mm. like that's, I mean, the whole reason why I wrote the memoir is because, you know, I went through something horrific. Um, it was hard. And if you go through something hard in my mind, you need to write it down. Mm. A lot of people may not agree with that, but I'm like, look, you've if you've gone down and battled the dragon and got the gold and came back alive with scars and you know all the things, you should share because people need to know that. I mean, that's why you know all the books you write about helping authors and all that is great because again, you've probably learned something. <laughs> learning, learning, and sharing yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah, I only write nonfiction when I need to put together what I've learned. So my latest one is audio for authors uh, about audiobooks and podcasting and voice tech. And that's basically a decade worth of learning because I've been podcasting since 2009. Uh, I've got over a decade now. and wow. it's. But I didn't write a book on audio until 2019 because it was then that everything kind of coalesced into what I really wanted to say and voice technologies have taken off and voice first and, um, you know, post Corona pandemic voice first will maybe uh, an even more resurgent technology because touchscreen will suddenly be over um, for many things. So there's some really interesting stuff that combined so that I was ready to write that book. I was, I did not have a book in me on audio until last year. And then I was like, right, I have to do this right now. I mean, you know, what's happened with podcasting. It's well, yours, your own podcast, you know, things really exploded in 2014 was the first kind of big jump. And then 2019, was the next big jump and 2020 is possibly the biggest jump we've seen the numbers of people who are starting to listen to podcasts and audiobooks under lockdown is huge yeah um people getting used to digital buying for audio and for ebooks for example this is going to revolutionize the publishing industry this uh this experience so as ever we're going to see destruction and we see creation and you know the 
there are lots of things that are not fun about the pandemic and obviously yes, it's very serious it and is. things but as entrepreneurs it is part of our job to look at the wave see the wave coming and try and jump on the wave as opposed to be Getting crushed smashed by it, by it. <laughs> yeah we got to catch the wave no I, I agree i mean <laughs> you know part of the reason i you know started to do this podcast i've been thinking about it and who, what am i going to do and you know, I started this on the on March 16th, which was the first day of shelter in place in San Francisco. It also happens to be my mom's birthday. That's what she's oh, probably nice. like. I talked with her the other day for Mother's Day and she's just like, yeah, I'm always going to remember this birthday. <laughs> it's the day we all sheltered in place. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but it, but what I found like, yeah, the, just the, the thoughts of how this, all this media is coming together and really the challenge of what you know all all covid 19's done is accelerated by like yeah. orders of magnitude Agreed. what was already happening yeah. and if you're not like uh, a retailer or a business that's got the on demand on premises online thing figured out i, I mean you're 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 just going to accelerate into the ground because you can see it and and, and it's probably going to change a little bit i mean it you know these sort of things changed um, even back when the, the sort of the only known, like I think it was worldwide pandemic was back in the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. But you know there was a world war and all this sort of thing. But you so you sort of see some similarities, some echoes, some rhymes. I guess history rhymes and never really repeats itself. But you sort of see that and how they adapted and overcame. And you just see the same thing here. I mean, the you know I'm I'm actually super busy. Um, I'm busier than ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's insane, and I'm like, oh, oh, I kind of calm down, you know. But but there's all sorts of people that want my help, you know, doing communications and marketing and mm. stuff. You know what I do um, now, and I just find it so fascinating how much the acceleration's occurring. And so, what are some of the things that you're seeing on that acceleration front? I mean, you mentioned this voice first. I think was technology or Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact term, but are you seeing more and more? What What are some of the things that you're seeing in your what you do? Well, I mean, publishing is really interesting. I mean, I, as I said, I'm an independent publisher and have been for a decade. And so I went, I've always been digital, digital, global, mobile first. That's been my business model. So when, and uh, as an independent author, it's very hard to get into physical bookstores. So I've never, and also I've been global. So I said, I've sold books in 144 countries now. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Yeah. Through, through my own platforms and through Kobo and Apple and Amazon and I sell print, but I do print on demand, which is if you order one of my print books, a print book, one book is printed and sent to the customer. Uh, And I do digital audio books, some of which I record myself and others, which I outsource and hire people to do. And so what was really interesting is I've had this business model for years, but traditional publishers who rely on physical bookstores, many of them are in dire straits. And the thing is, authors who rely on publishers to pay them are also in dire straits so what we're what we've seen and what's so interesting is our I've been to so many publishing conferences and so often my business model has been um 
criticized and ridiculed. Oh, I can imagine. You get it, right? <laughs> oh, I and, totally get it. I totally yeah, get it. like, why wouldn't you want to be in the bookstore down the road? And I'm like, well, my ambition is kind of global and digital makes it scalable and all of these things that we know in the online space. Um, I'm really much closer to a tech person than a publisher, really. It just happens that the product is a book. Yeah. Um, but what's happened is the trend. I mean, publishers have been putting off, like, they're like, no, we're going to put the ebook out. Um, four months later because we want people to buy the print book this model is now broken and what they're doing is kind of rushing ebooks out they're getting more audiobooks out um and what's happening is library borrows, for example, is very exciting to me. For many years, libraries have um, done, you know, traditional publishers where the books are very expensive and have ignored the independent community. Uh, but now what we've seen is this huge uptick in library borrows for both ebooks and digital audio, because it's like people have suddenly realized yeah. that they can buy digitally. And again, you and I are not normal. We've been doing digital and poss possibly people listening have also been consuming consuming digitally for many years, but most of the population of the US and the world, particularly Europe, what's interesting, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, these places, digital uh, uptick was so small, like it was tiny. And now it's just booming because all of these Europeans who love books, they can't get them. So they're reading digitally. So what we're, we're seeing this both incredibly positive thing and also for many companies in the publishing space, a very difficult thing um but what has started to happen is people are going also we're too dependent on amazon and that is a good thing because yeah. well, we, we talked really about that do... a little bit about if yeah you thought you asked me if i thought amazon was gonna like go away or something or so who was gonna i remember what it was is anyone gonna disrupt amazon what, well, Jeff Bezos said Amazon will be disrupted. Oh, yeah. But what's happened? I mean, what we had before the pandemic was both sides of your American political sphere were gunning for Bezos. You know, one side want to break it up, the other side want to, you know, break it up <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. But now they're the kind of savior of, of the pandemic um, in many places. But what will happen in 2021 when we realize that they now own everything? Um, it's so just like anything. No, I mean, I, and we actually talked about it. It, it, you, monopolies don't last. But now they're more of a monopoly than ever. Right. But basically. they will not last. Mark mm. my words. They will not last because there's always going to be somebody better, faster, cheaper, and more innovative. And they're scaling so rapidly, they will stumble. And in like, it is good that like all of those platforms that you mentioned, I think Kobo is one of them. Um, that Kobo are, and Apple. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many Google plays yeah reappearing yeah. but i i think amazon will be will be broken up or will break up themselves because like the aws business um is huge and completely separate really to mm -hmm. things like the um retail and then of course the advertising which is massive as well so mm -hmm. i i think we'll probably see it, it split up but the the impacts of on physical retail on of this environment that's going to change massively and also again you and i've been you know we know how to teach online i've been teaching online courses again for a decade and mm -hmm. have i'm having a boom in sales of online courses <laughs> because people are at home. sitting around going what do i do i'm gonna learn from joanna what do we want i think i'll write a novel <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that no i mean the nanorimo folks are i think they're getting pretty a lot of people starting like oh, exactly so 
this is what's interesting. And the other thing is, you know, coming back to the global financial crisis, that's when I really made the decision to leave my job and started, you know, I went to four days a week. I started building up 2008 was when I started the Creative Pen. 2009, I started my podcast because I was like, right, I need to get out. I need to take this seriously. And a lot of people are going to come out of this pandemic um, laid off or furloughed or thinking I need to do something because life's too short. And we're going to see loads more interesting stuff come out of this. Uh, I know there will also be a lot of destruction, but, yeah. but the things that come out will be change so much i really believe like automation virtual reality augmented reality these things i think will uh increase exponentially because because of this yeah there's no doubt there's no doubt i mean and it just again it accelerates the trends that are already there that, that's yes. the thing i think i've seen that's the most i mean i wouldn't say it's shocking but when people are like oh my gosh you know there's going to be more you know automation. Well, there's mm. automation has been going on for decades, but really it's like, do you really want to put a human in a, something that's d more dangerous that a, a robot yes. could do, and then they could go yep. do something else. And it's going to completely change mm. the world. I mean, the thing that mm. I always go back to is, you know, uh, what's funny is that Andrew Yang was a presidential yes. candidate here in the States. And I he, thought he was very good at Oh, he, he's a fantastic guy. I mean, no, I mean, so what's interesting about him is that he was talking about universal basic campaign. Universal basic, blah, yes, blah, blah, blah. he was. That was his big thing, right? And literally, he suspended his campaign in February. And then this mm. hit. And everyone's like, bro, you had this answer. Yeah. Like, give people Come money, back. right? You know? And and now he's got his own Humanity Forward. Yeah, Humanity Forward is his nonprofit that they're trying to do some stuff. He's got a podcast, of course. You know, everyone has a podcast now. But the thing that I really liked about what he was doing and again, what he was talking about was nothing new. It's just mm. like, you know, I think Friedman, the one of the economists, Milton Friedman, I think it was Milton Friedman, who talked about this universal basic oh, yeah. income. Hmm. Um, all the, uh, the libertarians talk about it, like libertarians, why? Well, because what happens is when you have all this concentration of wealth and it happens, it's just, it's natural, it does it, you can't you have to really fight hard to not have it consolidate in the very top. There has to be a way for the, for the fruits of, every, of all this labor to be distributed in a fair and equitable way. Because again, it's because of the society, the structure, it has because it happens. You can say, oh, I worked really hard. And you did, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, Bezos, all those guys worked hard, but the structure that they had to build on that, if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be successful. So that was an interesting thing where everyone's like, oh man, you should have stayed in. You probably would win. <laughs> well, you never know. Things may shake up before your November. I mean, who knows at the moment I mean, what, what the hell's going to happen. But I do I do think it, what's interesting about the UBI thing is, yes, absolutely. It's, it's a good idea and a lot of people will need it. But coming back to entrepreneurs, we can't help ourselves. I mean, like, and like it's, I like, I am a capitalist and I like earning more money directly related to my work. Yeah, um, and, sure. but the thing is what this will do is free, it hopefully will free people from doing things they really hate so that they can do other things because humans like to work. We're kind of defined by what we do with our time. Totally. And that may be, you know, baking the best sourdough, um, you know, in the, in the village or, or whatever. Have you read um, AI Superpower? Hours by Kai Fu Lee. No. 
No, no, I got it. That's a, that another out. great book. Oh, it's brilliant. So AI superpowers, Kai Fu Lee. And um, he talks about UBI being necessary in a world with more AI, more automation. But he talks about it being related to what you do for the community. So if you're a baker or you're, you look after children or you're a nurse, you know, you, maybe you get more e extra yeah. because you're giving to the community. And that's another thing that might well change, um, you know, in this new environment. So I think there's a lot of ideas, as you say, that have been around for a while that may be coalescing into whatever this new world looks like. And again, our job as entrepreneurs is to cre is keep creating and helping other people create and they will create cool stuff and save the world i'm totally believe that humans are going to save the world <laughs> wow well not uh, destroy it <laughs> yeah well that's that sounds like a great place to end <laughs> so uh, <laughs> joanna let's hope humanity saves the world i know you'll be part of helping save the world and i let's all be part of yeah, it yeah <laughs> I, I really appreciate your time it's always a pleasure talking with you oh thanks for having me Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, the Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time... Keep getting better. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services.